Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, Ask questions and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now... Taz and Paula. Are you with us? I am with you guys. Oh, great. Ah. We will introduce you. Okay. We love having you with us. Well, our next guest is David Elliott. His first book, The Reluctant Healer, details his experience growing up on a farm in rural Kentucky, the questioning of his traditional Catholic roots, his experience in the business world, and as a professional film and TV actor in Hollywood. All of these experiences led him to a series of remarkable encounters that strengthened and urged him towards his destiny to teach people in person and by books to heal themselves and nurture their souls. Well, you're now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Well, David um, says that healing is easier to experience than to explain. He supports people in healing by listening into their souls. He says he's able to sense the emotions and fear um, they are holding inside, which then allows him to help them to unblock and release the negative energy holding them back. And as a clairaudient healer, David hears purely through his senses. Sometimes it is sound and speech, like in a regular conversation, 
um, mostly it's a perception and awareness that lets him focus on the energy a person has locked up inside. David says, by unburdening an individual of their negative energy, there is a lift, an inspiring moment created when this individual wakes up from their spiritual crisis with a bright new clarity about their lives. Well, during David's teenage years, he was part of a band. Uh, He was on Milton District High School in his final year to pursue his dream of becoming a rock star. At 19, however, he realized this wouldn't happen and returned to finish high school. After graduating high school, Smith attended Friars... No, I'm sorry. After graduating high school... uh, he attended Ryerson University in Toronto and auditioned for Stratford Shakespearean Festival in Ontario and was accepted as a member of its young company. Subsequently, moving to Los Angeles, he took the stage name of David James Elliott. Having found there was already an actor named David Smith, now this is what confused me when I was doing this, I Smith attended Ryerson University. That really confused me because I'm thinking of David as David Elliott. Yeah, yeah, I could jump in. I could jump in one second because wherever that information came from, there's a couple of little bits in there that probably came from somewhere else. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, the the part about David James Elliott, he's actually another person. Um, I mean, you can go ahead, but I, if you want, I just thought I better jump in and just everything <laughs> oh, yeah. up until you got to the rock band or the band in high school was completely correct. And I, then then somewhere in there we must have uh, had a mix-up with some information, but it's okay. I kind of <laughs> like it. I mean, I, I, I could, you know, as an actor, I could probably go with it. So. <laughs> okay. Well, you you appeared in a film, Police Academy 3, Back in training in 1986 and subsequently in television series Street Legal, Not Landing, as Bill Nolan, and in 1993's The Untouchables as Ancient Paul Robbins. The following year, uh, he landed a, uh, a role in the hit series Melrose Place, playing Terry Parsons. And uh, guest appearances on an episode of Seinfeld as an anti-abortion furniture mover. <laughs> a good one. <laughs> what an awesome journey you've been on. And now you've t- uh, opened the doors to another journey, and you teach people um, in your, in person and buy books to heal themselves and nurture their souls. And we really need that right now. So thank you for being with us. We, you know, we've had you before, and we really enjoyed having you, and we wanted you back. Oh, well, it's, it's always great to be, uh, be wanted. So <laughs> Can you give us like a Reader's Digest to catch up the, our listeners that didn't hear us before of okay. how you became a healer. Yeah. You know, I, of course, hindsight's probably even better than 2020. And, you know, I think now back about my whole life and my childhood and um, realized that I, you know, there's no accident to the family I was born into, the way I was raised. I come from a lineage of country doctors and priests and nuns and, um, and and nurses, and I kind of figure I'm just a conglomeration of all of them, I guess, now. Uh, my, my father and 
his father were also farmers and very connected to the land and you know their expectation i'm sure was for me to stay on we had a a very large farm in western kentucky and um you know i guess the father's dream if he's farming would be that his son stays stays or comes back to the family farm but i I was more restless and needed to get out in the world and really explore what my purpose was. There was always a strong push for me to be very curious and ask lots of questions and want to know how things worked. And so when I got, my parents did persist of me going to college, I I never came back and I didn't know what I was wanting to do in college. and. Um, when I finished, uh, a, a great uncle from California uh, basically brought me out to California. He said, you're not going to be satisfied in western Kentucky. Let me just bring you out west, and you can get a feel for things. And his grandkids planted the seed and kept really bugging me about staying and becoming an actor, which I did and had never thought about that. Um but ironically, once they planted that seed, um, I, I started meeting people, photographers, and some agents. And the next thing you know, I'm, you know, pursuing an acting career mainly because it started to awaken me. It really um, was the first, I guess, well, definitely training and the first liberating place for me to get in touch and express my emotions and. As I really started studying acting and and noticing what it was about the life uh, that I would see in actors and the way that they were able to move their energy and I guess play their emotions like an instrument, it it not only fascinated me, it it captivated me and and I felt like that was my purpose and I had I mean I would go to see movies when I first moved to Hollywood and you know, the surge of spirit and energy would move through me and I would tingle from head to toe and I would just know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And after being in L.A. a short time, I started having strangers come up and grab me and get my attention and tell me that I was a healer and that they had been sent to find me and they had been sent to meet me at a certain place, a certain time, of course, that was just the most bizarre thing I'd ever heard of, and I kind of started, if I saw a person coming towards me with that look in their eye, I would um, start to try to avoid them, and this happened enough times for to really get my attention. It would kind of happen once or twice a month, and started to happen even more more regular, and so... Finally, after a good while of this, I looked up at the sky and I said, okay, God, you need to send me some answers because I don't know what this is about. And short time after that, my phone rang and a friend of mine um, told me that she had just met this healer and that I needed to meet him. And I was like, well, I don't know what a healer is, but I guess I need to meet him to find out. And I met this guy, his name was Tim Heath, and he immediately told me, well, the first few things he said to me, when, as soon as he saw me, he said, hello, brother, we meet again. And I was like, uh-huh, what? And he said, I've known you many lifetimes. You're a healer. Um, you, you're you a clairaudient. And I go, 
you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what that means. And, you know, I'm kind of thinking this guy's about as nutty as the rest of them. And um, he, you know, he said, you, this gift, the clear audience is a gift of, of the throat chakra. It's a gift of hearing. And I thought, okay. He said, well, you hear the answer to people's questions before they ask the question. You hear people's thoughts. You hear into their subconscious. You know, I, 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 you know, thought, well, doesn't everybody? And I think I said that. And he said, no, they don't. Not, not the way you do. And I still was resisting him, but he got me when he said, it gets really intense around relationships and I just broken up in a relationship with this girl and I was heartbroken it's probably the reason why actually really one of the main reasons I went to see him and um, and he said yeah oh he said when the I guess when he said that about relationships I stopped resisting and he said well let me tell you about that girl and I listened and I mean the next few things he said explained more to me about her than I had learned on my own and um, anyway he, he just said in the, with this gift of hearing he said I can't teach you this he said you were born with this it's a very refined gift um, it's something that I only recently remembered that he said to me that day which I think I blocked because it seemed so preponderous he, he said you taught me a meditation, a breathing meditation, back in India, 2,000 some odd years ago. You know, I, I, I just had no perception of what he was talking about. And um, anyway, he said, "I want to, I want to reconnect you to this meditation." You know, and kind of acted like this is the reason why he had come back to to me. And I did the. I said, "Okay, I'll." do it and I did the breathing meditation with him and when I did my energy I started tingling and vibrating and pulsing with energy like a, a like you might feel when you get goosebumps up and down your spine only I was feeling this completely through my body it was it was it was like a getting almost like shocked electrically it was so strong I kept thinking I was levitating and anyway he had me at that point because I think every emotion that I'd ever suppressed and held inside myself came out, and I had this very deep awareness and connection to everything, and and we got we got to be friends, and so when people would come and grab me and tell me that I was a healer and they were looking for me, for the next year and a half, two years, I would say, "Oh, oh no, you got the wrong person. I know who you're look, but I know who you're looking for." And I would just send them all to him, and I would watch him and be around him. I was very curious about what he was doing, but very reluctant in saying, "No, I'm not a healer. I'm not going to do healing work. I'm an actor." Um, so I still was pursuing the acting, but keeping my eye on the healing, and gradually over. Um, well, a couple of years after knowing him, he died in a car accident, and then this wave of people and energy kind of turned to me. And over the course of the next few years, I it it pretty much took over my life. So I kind I went from seeing four or five people a week as I 
with gradually giving in to, you know, maybe becoming a bit of a healer. Um, the next thing I knew, I was seeing, you know, 20, 30, 40 people a week, and um, it started to make more and more sense to me that it was something I had to to do at least for a while. And gradually I found myself uh, not as interested in acting and not able to really have the time to go pursue it. And then um, I had always been told my whole life also that I was a writer. So um, the guy, Tim, when he first met me, he said, well, a big part of your gift is writing and expression, and so you're going to write a lot of books. Um, I kind of believed that a little bit. I guess I'd heard that enough uh, that I had an ability to write. Um, and so um, literally when September 11th happened, the next morning I was woke up about 4 in the morning and I audibly heard the voice that guides me very specifically say, get up, get in your car, go to the ocean, and wash away the fear. Uh, I pretty robotically did that and ended up, I was heading to Santa Monica, it sent me to the Santa Barbara uh, area and I got in the water. When I dunked under and came out, I heard the voice say, it's time to start writing the book. So that's when I started writing The Reluctant Healer. Um, Then, you know, it had its tour and I forgot exactly when I actually finished it now, but, you know, however many years ago and then the more recent book was is healing it's just titled healing and it's come on the heels of the reluctant healer which i feel it's it's a much more reluctant healer had more about the journey and kind of the application of how you take your life where you are and start to understand that you may have purpose in it especially if you keep getting strong messages and signals from the universe, which I know a lot of people have been and are right now. And uh, healing is is very is a much even deeper um, look into what the ways that I see people healing and, you know, creating lots of well-being in their life. So I guess that's the long, <laughs> maybe longer than Cliff Notes version. But well, my question is, do you teach that meditation? Um, yeah, that? I, I've worked with the, the meditation. It's uh, pranayama yoga. It's a breathing meditation, and literally, the simplicity of it. Um, you know, I think probably the biggest reason people have obstacles and problems is they you know have a tendency to get stuck in the head living in their mind whether and their emotions pushing so if they're afraid and they're experiencing lots of anxiety you know it it gets stuck not only in their body but specifically their mind they can't turn it off and it's just going 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 and if we add in all the you know, stimuluses that we have available now, you can see that people are becoming kind of in their brains about as fast as their computers. So what the breathing meditation does is it literally, not unlike exercise, although we're we're doing it 
uh, you know, in a meditative state. And so with the breathing, we are activating the ductless glands or the chakras through the breath. And so through the breathing rhythm, by increasing the oxygen flow and the oxygen in the bloodstream, we're actually activating the hypothalamus glands specifically in the brain. And then, you know, as a person just relaxes, it starts to trigger these other ductless glands, which I look at as being these little mini storage, maybe each of them, the seven chakras or main ductless glands, uh, being these computer centers where information is stored. And for most people, it's it's got more the negative stuff, the, the flight, the fear, the fight or flight mechanism and, and you know, their their painful um, experiences in life stored in there. So as we, through the meditation, activate them, there's a clearing and a cleansing that happens through, you know, really the subconscious because that's where most of the powerful information that's locking people up or sticking them is, is stored, meaning that they're not in touch with as much as they think they are. Um, so again, the breathing meditation start, really starts to open that up. And um, once the person is in the meditation breathing and they start to feel their energy, uh, so meaning that they will start to feel a vibration moving through them, when that happens, it literally turns into an experience. So what you were reading in the very beginning about the description of one of the David Elliott's, <laughs> um, the uh, which was me. Um, the the for people, we we can only really do so much intellectually. Even though you know I I know some very brilliant people. Most again are overloaded in the brain. But once we can get them into uh, an experience with themselves it starts to take on more and more of a spiritual nature, which means that it teaches, it, it, it reveals the spirit will help open the doorway for a person to understand things on a deeper level than just the brain. Um, and so once they can kind of have a full body connection to all of themselves energetically, emotionally, Mentally, you know, and everything kind of integrates and comes together. I don't know. I, would, I guess I would have to say the miracles I've seen in life um, most often happen when that congruency, you know, when that merging happens or comes together. So, uh, David, since we weren't exactly um, um, up to date with everything about you, uh, <laughs> I, I question. Um, you have a CD um, yeah. for meditation for, for yeah, a Yeah, I do. Um, it, it, and, and trust me, I, 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 there's a, just from my side, uh, there's no problem with any of the mix-up of the information. I, I don't care about that at all. People can go on uh, thereluctanthealer.com, and uh, pretty soon there's a new website that's going to be davidelliot.com any, any day now, but they can go on there and find you know, all the information, really. But, um, yeah, there's uh, about uh, five meditation CDs that I've created, and I'm due to go in to do a few new ones. But um, 
and the, each of these take people through a meditation, uh, and, and some of them are theme-specific, meaning there's one called cleanse, there's another one called manifest, there's another one called sexual healing, um, then the latest one is called the spiritual practice, and what it does is it's a little different than the other ones. Um, the other ones have a, a slight, like a five or six minute intro and about a 20 to 23 or four minute meditation. Um, but as I was doing these, I realized, you know, we're such a fast food society that I needed <laughs> to create some different length ones, uh, specifically some really short ones for people who only have a few minutes that they can designate to themselves spiritually or you know, health-wise or meditatively each day. So the the spiritual practice CD has four different length meditations, a seven-minute, a 14, a 21, and a 28-minute meditation so that, again, based on the time that people have available, you know, they can just hit that track. So, I know the last time we talked to you, I don't know if it's still up on your website, there was a free one that you could download. Mm-hmm. Is it still there? It's still there, so it's basically that first, the seven-minute meditation that, uh, you know, that's the that's the hors d'oeuvre or that's the the the, the little snack. But uh, in seven minutes, people can definitely start to feel their energy. Once they, once you, we can get the brain just to go neutral, just to stop, and a person starts to feel their energy. My my belief of what's happening there is our spirit or our essence or our soul, whatever word a person wants to use for our higher self, the eternal part of ourself, I see that as a vibration. That That's something that exists in the universe, I guess for some people in heaven, wherever you want to language it. Um, it's, a, it's a vibration, and I do believe that, you know, when a person gets goosebumps, that that a moment of truth is happening and the spirit is entering the body. So, um, you know, when, when we're doing the meditation and, and someone starts to feel themselves vibrating, it's because of the opening um, that's happening because the mind has loosened grip or control just enough <laughs> to start to let, you know, the spirit in. So, um it's, it is really amazing what all happens there, whether I'm working with an individual or with a group of people. So, so you still you're still yeah. doing individual healings? Uh, when I'm when I'm when I have time and when I'm in uh, usually Los Angeles, I do. Sometimes when I travel to other cities, I'll do a day of private sessions. You know, <clears throat> the thing about working with people privately. It, it grounds me. It, it gives me an ability. It gives me a chance to really connect with people. There's something about it that I mean. I guess as also as a former athlete playing basketball, you know, it, it's like shooting the free throws, the layups. You know, it, it's got all of the basics in it, and I feel like it's it's a really good um, thing um, for me to do that. Um, but I obviously, the busier I am, the less time I have uh, where I can work privately with people, but I still do some, yes. Taz, did you have a question? 
I did. I forgot it. I felt like I, I almost felt like I interrupted you. But um, well, so when you work with people individually, do you work with helping them release their blocks, their emotional blocks? Yeah, for me, it you know. It, it, it's trying to teach people. I, I heard just the end of uh, Mr. Pearl's or Dr. Pearl's um, interview there that you guys had, you know, with him. And um, you know, I, honestly, I think so many of the spiritual teachers and healers and whatever are are, are saying a lot of the same thing. Um, you know, when the message is 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 right it, it doesn't have a lot of variation to it and so so you know my job is really to teach people how to heal themselves and how to how to understand themselves and so yes for for many people it's it's helping them get in touch and really uh, teaching them how to clear their emotions um, when the emotions start to move and clear, it isn't, you know, it, it's like acting. It, it doesn't mean that that's all of it, you know. But uh, once the emotions clear, I find that the pathways are then open for spirit to move through the body. And it tends to move, I find, through the nervous system more than any other parts of the body, that it begins as a frequency it tends to move that through those electrical circuits and the nervous system. You know, I was just thinking, um, you know, when people listen to certain kinds of music, or, they, uh-huh. or they'll hear someone sing, they'll have these goosebumps mm-hmm. and opening up. So do you, f- I mean, if you have your music that you have meditation mm-hmm. and um, that kind of thing, does the music help? open up people? Yeah, it, it really does because, you know, you know, like they do in, um, you know, the, I think it's neuro-linguistic programming, they'll kind of categorize people as, you know, some people are more kinesthetic, some people here, you know, I, I, I'm not super versed on NLP, so I probably shouldn't even speak about it, but, but honestly, music... Um, well, I mean, how many times have you been in a movie theater and something happened with an actor and you felt, you know, goosebumps move through you and tears came to your eyes and, it, and you could hear people gasping, or, you know, through the, through the audience? So what, the way I look at all of it is when spirit moves, the, the, the big language or, or the big medium is art. The thing about art that um, really is uh, so encompassing is art. It, it's like rhymes are kind of popping in my head, but like art is, you know, it's, it, it happens through the heart. You know, the, the most powerful art, you know, does happen through the, the heart, in my opinion. So when a person, when a singer, you know, opens, they open their heart, they open their throat. So the throat, obviously, is the thing that we we get moved by the most. But there's people that can hit beautiful notes, um, but maybe they don't move you like someone who is really feeling and opening and choosing to open. Um, and this is the same way with acting and, 
I believe it's the same way with painting and certainly writing. I've had many, um, you know, uh, screenplay writers tell me that, you know, when they were writing this specific screenplay, they felt energy start to move through them at a certain point. And then the production company that bought the script, they specifically said, oh, my gosh, this scene right here, you know, really killed us or it's amazing. And then when the actors got to it, you know, they, you know, energy, spirit moved through them. And I always found usually those scenes make it into the movie, you know, um, not maybe not in every case, but um, you know. So, so the 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 key is the opening. When when people open, um, when they open the heart, when they open up, um, this I call it universal energy flow. But you know, this energy from outside of ourselves, this light, moves through. You know, and when it moves through. I mean, the beauty of being an artist is there. You're an you're an instrument. You're a vessel, and you get to be this this conductor that um, relays this information to many, many, many other people. So um, that's that's always what fascinated me as an actor. It's like, oh my gosh, I could see that. I could feel that. I could hear that with this. Person, I mean, I always laugh if if I was had been able to open more and more as an actor, you know, I may not be doing this work here today. Um, but I also know that the universe has its plan with with all of us, especially you know, had a very specific plan with me, and and I feel like it it wanted me to study artists and acting so that as it kind of has ma- managed to keep me around Hollywood, that I would have this good foundation to work with, you know, entertainers and artists. I mean, it's amazing how many actors and singers come to me, and it's uh, the place where they have their biggest blocks is usually the throat or the jaw, and the number of them that grind their teeth at night or have to wear a mouthpiece or that have all these throat ailments um, you know, the area with their biggest gift is also oftentimes an area with their biggest vulnerability and sometimes a feeling of almost like being their biggest curse, you know. So. I think I read uh, somewhere that you, wrote, that you wrote the second chakra is a blockage of self-love. Uh, a block in the second chakra or? Uh-huh. Right. Is that self-love or? Well, so most more about the self-love would be uh, towards the heart chakra. The um, the second chakra, what I find there is, of course, I mean, yes, we it would it would it would involve self-love. But oh, okay, I think I know what you're uh, referring to. So, and the second chakra is where people um, tend to get hung up on what I call more of a love of power versus the power of love. So the power of love would be more connected to the heart, and that would be what I would be talking about is the self-love flowing out from the heart, then connecting us to everything. Whereas through the second chakra, you know, where I kind of look at where, where society and most people individually are stuck, 
is in their perception of love is out there. If somebody loves me, you know, if I can connect to somebody and they love me, then I can feel good and then I'll love myself. So what happens is through the second chakra, there's, that's where much of not only the sexual energy but the emotions and um, the, it, it ends up being a, the, the region where people end up creating uh, a lot of their dysfunction in. So I, I hope I explained that well enough. It's, it's a loaded, uh, the second chakra is a loaded topic uh, area because I, I find it, it contains issues with money, sexual stuff, food, um, emotions, creativity, you know, a lot of that is all, you know, flowing around in the water and the, you know, sexual regions in the body. And, and second chakra does have, a, I find, a really strong connection with the throat. So the creativity that, that can be generated there, if a person is connected to it, can then be brought up and expressed out very wonderfully and powerfully through the throat as it, you know, of course, moves through the heart right before. Wow. Now, with with the heart, I've known a lot of people that their energy flows from the heart. They can give give all this love, but when it mm-hmm. comes back to receiving love, it's hard for them to receive love. <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely, and you know, uh, I, m- maybe I'm going to make a blanket statement here, but I find that generally um, men have uh, oftentimes the bigger block between the shoulder blades, literally, um, w- w- around receiving love, and probably the old program of them being the provider and whatnot. Uh, it ends up, you know, being more of a controlling thing about giving, and, you know, giving things a certain way. Um, and usually I'll find when people, you know, have had heart attacks or heart attacks run in the family that there is a pretty tight, um, a pretty significant block in the back of the heart chakra. So by bringing awareness to that, and teaching a person how to open and soften that area and how to let a little more trust be there, it's amazing how um, much tension can release from around the heart. Boy, that's some good advice. <laughs> let me um, let me just give out your website so people know, and it's uh, David Elliot Dash Healing dot com. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. David Elliot and it's E L L I O T T. Yes. Dash healing dot com. Okay. And, we've uh, got some classes coming up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've been I, I've been taking a little break in July and writing my third book, which is uh, a different format. It's actually in in a, in a novel form and. Um, I'm having a lot of fun writing um, something that's more fiction-based, um, a little bit about the fu- a little bit more about the future, and um, it's you know it's testing my my trust of my creativity. But um, um, 
as I'm now getting back to work, I do have what I call my healer training classes coming up in the healer training level one class, um, which is the, it's the 10-year anniversary of, of me teaching, uh, starting this class just prior to um, September 11th. I agreed to start teaching people how to do this work uh, September 1st, 2001 in Sedona, Arizona, and this is now the 10th year anniversary, so it's kind of a little milestone for me. Um, but that first level class is coming up this Saturday and Sunday in Los Angeles. Um, and it's it's kind of the basic tools and, and, a, and a very experiential, practical teaching about how to heal yourself and how to start working with your energy and how to really gain an understanding of it um, in addition to how to start to apply this awareness into seeing and hearing and feeling energy in other people so you can start to learn how to set boundaries and start to learn how to separate out <laughs> what's yours and what's somebody else's. So that's one of the most important things I find for people these days. Most of the sensitive really sensitive people are overwhelmed because they feel so much and they don't know what's theirs. And so when they're going from feeling kind of okay, they'll go out to, you know, for 15 minutes to run an errand and go in real quick to a store and suddenly they're angry or frustrated or irritated and they don't know, they didn't even talk to anybody and they don't know what happened. So. You know, these people I usually refer to as the empathics, the really sensitive people who are picking up, you know, the subconscious and pain and and upset from other people just by, you know, being around them. So, um, so I find that teaching people to understand more about, you know, their intuition, more about their energy. Oh, oh, cut him, cut him off! Uh, I moved the, I moved my computer. Uh oh, so hopefully he'll move, he'll call back in. Oops, are you there? Okay, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, David, let me send you out some, some notice here. Yeah. So uh, I was going to ask him, because uh, he has three, uh, if I remember correctly from his last interview we had with him, he has uh, three workshops, the beginning that he was just talking about, and then a second one, and the third one is how to work with groups. So hopefully he'll call back in. Okay. So. And the other thing is we want to check out, I mean, you know, making sure if he has any books coming up. Yeah, he was just talking about his new book coming up. Yeah, so we need to it's talk about it. called The Baptism. He said it was, oh, there he is. Yay. Uh-huh. Yay, sorry you got cut off. Are you there? Oops. Hello, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, good. Yes. Sorry you got cut off. You were talking about your classes. And my um, so my question is, you've got uh, three different classes. Can you take – do they have to be in sequence, or can you take, like, the second one 
and then go back to, and then take the first one next year? Or? Yeah, usually what I do, they can be taken out of sequence some. The, the second class does build on the first one. Um, so usually when I'm offering the second one, either myself or one of the other teachers for me will offer an abbreviated uh, one-day version of the first excuse me, first class to kind of catch people up. So we'll usually do that on a Friday and then the, the second class on Saturday and Sunday. The third class, what I call the Healer Training Level 3 class, it's, it's about group energy. So I find it'll stand on its own pretty well. So it's, it's about the dynamics of groups. You know, many, most people I know don't love being in groups, but they're kind of forced to if they're taking classes, if they work, if <laughs> they're in a family. Um, so it, it's a real uh, fascinating class about, you know, group dynamics and, and group energies. And then the fourth level class is really just a teaching um, about some of the specific things I do uh, in the in the work, um, and then I ex- kind of open the for, floor for people to ask questions. And I find that if they've been working and applying the other classes, they'll come in with lots of great questions. So usually the level four class, unless a person has been working, doing lots of you know work in some way usually that class is better taken after they've taken some of the other ones. So um, ideally they're taking one, two, three, four, but, uh, you know, with people's schedules it isn't always possible. So we, I work with people and, um, and try to make it where they can be, come into the class whenever they can get there. So. And then um, on your uh, website you also have uh, people who want to write books. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I have uh, have typically um, the last year had three writers groups, uh, two in America and one in Italy. Um, um, right now, I have two groups, uh, one in Italy and one in America. But um, um, of course, the in the U.S. group, there's people that participate from all over. And yeah, my my I feel like my um, role is the universe definitely sends me talented, creative, gifted people. That has happened since day one. And I feel like, you know, one of my really important jobs is to get those people liberated and healed. And I find one of the fastest way to get people, you know, on track is to get them creating and expressing because suddenly when a person's doing that, most of their problems go away and their energy picks up and things start to kick in. And so um, so I've really studied, you know, how getting creative people to create and express themselves actually will simultaneously just about heal anything. And I've had really good uh, people to work with out here and. Los Angeles. So, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I found that a lot of people who, you know, maybe had really successful careers and sometimes had dips in them and they would find their way to me, you know, usually if I could just show them and get them back into doing, you know, really using their creativity, it's amazing how many of their problems just go away. 
So if you join the, um, if you, I would say it's like for two for one, um, yeah. get support for writing a book. Plus, you, there a healing <laughs> takes place. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, and you know, I find these this day and age the book industry is changing so rapidly that honestly, I'm finding some people have having just as much impact writing a blog because you know society wants it wants to consume its meals again faster and sometimes smaller portions and so if a person you know this this whole thing of the the tweets and the facebooks and you know uh there it, it, it's all changing so um it's kind of exciting you know it is changing and and the key i is really to get people to express and and if they're connected to to really what what they're here to do um it's amazing what little nuggets can come out in just a few sentences and maybe that's all a person needs to hear today you know so david what you're saying basically is is that the energy must get stuck in someone's body if they're you know unable to really be expressive or they get all tied up and Mm-hmm. And not, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so just breaking through that and allowing it, it, it brings everything into oh. normalcy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, gosh, the, I mean, how many people have you known who had something bad happen or something that maybe, you know, seemed like an injustice or they got hurt or betrayed in some way? And they got stuck in that emotion, and what it did, or, or or what happened to them after that. You know how long it took them to get sick. And I never like making, you know, a lot of really. Well, I, I, again, for me, it's always um, the the connections that I help people uncover. Of course, are always, you know. Uh, tried to be I try to do them as discreetly as possible, but you know I, I, I hate having to say to somebody, you know you're under such stress and you're pushing yourself so bad you know if you don't slow down and, and take care of yourself, something bad I feel something bad could happen or I feel something's happening in your body or I'm smelling something that you know, um, is starting to smell like cancer or whatever, and the, the few times I've had to say that, um, I mean, it's hard for me to say that to people, but, uh, you know, there's been a few instances where somebody's gone to get themselves checked out the next day, and, and fortunately, you know, they've caught something at the very, very beginning before it manifested too deeply into their, you know, into their body. So, um, you know, by holding on, when we hold on to pain, I always say that the pain is from the past, you know, and the fear is in the future. And neither one of those two events are in this moment right now. In this moment right now, if a person, people can stay in this moment, they usually do pretty good and they're usually their health is fine but when they get too far into the future or stuck too far in the past they don't do well now um you you have a newsletter that you write on on your website yeah and 
I think that was, if I remember correctly, something you wrote about is it a humming hummingbird. Hummingbird hint. Yeah. 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 The hummingbird hint is usually at the end of each newsletter, and it's a little, um, little thing that I intuit and kind of try to share. It would be similar to a chapter out of a book or something. Um, but yeah, the hummingbirds. Since my daughter was conceived, literally the I guess right when she was conceived, uh, hummingbirds started doing a very peculiar thing in coming to live right close to me, whether it was on my front porch or in the trees or they'd come in my house. And and so hummingbirds, I feel like she, as she came, as her spirit and essence came, the hummingbirds uh, came too. And ironically, you know, the only name I could really agree to naming her was Ruby and I I never even made the connection till after she was born that oh <laughs> I guess that's why we named her Ruby but uh um so hummingbirds uh, hold a very special um place in my heart and the hummingbird hint is yeah something that I try to share from my heart to help people sometimes it's what I I sense people are really going through, you know, like right now or a little bit of an intuition about, you know, the future or something. I I try to let it be a nugget or something that can help people. So, Well, like today with the stock market, I guess it really went down, (laughs) down. There's probably a lot of fear out there right now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, money... The money conversation, I, I, I mean, this next election, let's put it this way, is probably going to be, uh, is definitely going to prove to be um, very theatrical and interesting because uh, um, I, I, I couldn't tell you, and I don't know that my intuition would be any good uh, uh, regarding what's going to happen there, but uh, but I do believe that, yes, our country, we, we um are having some roads, the roads ahead that are going to be very challenging and hopefully enlightening and empowering for us all and not too negative. But uh, I think it is really an important time to have a strong spiritual base or practice where you can clear and ground yourself and get connected to the source that you connect to and, and feel safe and good and, and empowered and not stuck in fear because that's no fun. Paula, I would really like uh, David to talk again about his second book here, The Baptism. Um, and is that, can people purchase that now from you? Oh, oh, oh the, so that's the third one. Yeah, the third one, the one I'm working on right now. So the second one is, uh, is healing. And, yes, it's available, you know, certainly Amazon and some bookstores, a lot of the bookstores, although the bookstores seem to be a disappearing um, breed these days, but uh, it's certainly it's available on my website. If, if somebody doesn't have the money to buy it, they can go on my website on the uh, what you mentioned earlier, the davidelliot-healing.com or Reluctant Healer, and uh, on the home page, uh, you'll, or you'll see in there where you can download it as a free PDF. So uh, I'm fine. Uh, it's more important for me that people 
have access to the information than how many books I sell. So if somebody, again, wants to go check it out, they can go download it as a PDF. And I think if they're kind of handy, they can probably put it on their Kindle or, or whatever. It's available on all the outlets, uh, you know, as a Kindle download. It's also available as an audio book on my website where I read the whole book. So. Um, and your your third book, when's that going to be yeah. out? So, well, that's a. Uh, I'm hoping I can finish it by the end of the year. Here, that's um, that. That I'll I'll be hustling if I do. I figure I'm about a third uh, to half, probably not quite half done, writing it. And there's a lot coming yet that I don't even know where it's going for sure. But it's oh, about fun. this character. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So it's coming into you as you write. Coming into me as I write, yes. It's a, it's oh, about this guy, his name is John River, and he's having this connection with the Mother Earth that's becoming very animated, and when he's in the right place and his heart is open, she communicates with him um, very, very um, prominently, and so there's a whole cast of characters that come into it, and um, it ends up he has a role to to work with the earth and and open these portals and and try to bring balance uh, to the earth and um, I feel like it has a little tinge of how Richard Dreyfuss's character was in Close Encounters of the of the Third Kind if you remember that movie back uh-huh, many years yeah. ago in that he's yeah. getting this information and it, it does it it he can't make any sense out of it in his brain, but he feels it and all these things happen when he opens up in his heart and lets go. Um, so it's, I'm getting to stretch and, and I'm getting to put as much, make up as much uh, with my imagination and give myself lots of latitude with my creativity. So I, I am having a lot of fun writing it. It sounds like it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, we've got about a couple of minutes left. Can you, um, maybe anything we haven't touched that you want to talk about? Uh, it's funny. I was being interviewed, I don't know, last uh, many months ago. I don't know if you've heard them, but sometimes during the call there's these uh, – the, the hummingbirds are all around, so they make really loud sounds uh, just outside my window. And at the end of a at the end of a call, uh, this one interview, the, I told the guy we talked about the hummingbirds. And at the end, he said, "What's that sound I keep hearing? Is that crickets?" And I said, "No, no, no, that's the hummingbirds." And he's like, "What? I've never heard hummingbirds make that sound." So a few times I heard them chirping away. I didn't know if you guys heard them on your end. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, so those are yeah, those are the hummingbirds. They get very animated when 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 certain openings and things happen in my healing room or whatever. They always chime in. It's it's kind of it's yeah, I always say it's kind of like Walt Disney or Disney you know an old Disney movie around here. So yeah, your partners. <laughs> yeah. Your your healing partners. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, they they yeah, it's like they come to the window. They'll they'll come in my room when when the certain vibrations moving, and they'll f- fly around the ceiling a couple of times and go back out. So 
it's, uh, it, that always tickles me when that happens. Um, so, yeah. Well, let's I, give I, out David's. I, uh, yeah. Go, go I just want to say I think your... we covered everything pretty good, so I'm I'm hey. good. And if you guys need David. to say anything else, you feel oh, free. Oh yeah. I was gonna say we need to give out the website, which is David, and then Elliot, your last name E L L I O T T, and that's dash healing dot com. David, thank you so much. It's been really beautiful to have you with us. Oh, well, thank you, guys. I, I feel blessed to uh, have been on your show twice and really appreciative of, of the opportunity. We'll have you back on after you get that third book written. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Taz, are you there? I don't know if Taz is there. I'm going to put on our introduction. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you Expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, hello everyone. You're listening to KKUP 91.5, and today we have Dr. Alice Chan with us. She is an inspirational author, speaker, and coach, a devoted practitioner, teacher of conscious living principles. You're listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula, and I don't know if Taz is with us. So, Alice, are you with us? I certainly am. Oh, great. I don't know what happened to Taz, but I'll go on uh, with our introduction. Uh, Alice loves helping... Taz? Alice loves helping others recognize the powerful creators that they already are, right here, right now, not just when they are better in some way. She coaches others to leverage both their left brain, yan side, and right brain, yin side, to create the experience of of what they want instead of reacting to life as victims of circumstances. Born in Hong Kong, raised in Macau, Alice left her childhood home in 1986 to start college in Hawaii on her own at the tender age of 16. Since then, her search for a meaningful life has led her to becoming an 
award-winning professor at Cornell University and subsequently serving as a market research and business consultant for more than a decade. While building and managing teams during most of those years, Alice leverages her collective experiences as an educator, business leader, consultant, coach, and public speaker to help as many as possible to reach their dreams. In her professional experiences spanning nearly two decades, she addresses different groups of academic, business, and general population audiences in North America and in such international locations as Hong Kong, Spain, and Sweden. She holds a BA and an MA in communication from the University of Hawaii and a PhD in communications arts and sciences mass media from Michigan State University. And she is also certified as a career coach and an MBTI consultant. Well, Alice, we are certainly excited to have you with us today. Welcome to our show. It's entirely my honor and pleasure. So good to be with you. Well, you've written a book, Reach Your Dreams, Five Steps to Be a Conscious Creator in Your Life. What made you decide to write this book? Thanks for asking that, Paula. Essentially, um, it gets down to this book simply needed to be written. It's really part of fulfilling my life's mission to inspire and help others self-empower to live passionately and joyfully. Um, it, it, I basically almost died in a car accident in December 2008. And when I was still unconscious in the hospital, I had a near-death experience. And it became very clear to me in that experience a very strong conviction that there's something else that I'm kept alive to do. And really writing, writing this book and using its principles to help others is why I'm still living and breathing. Uh, you know, it didn't dawn on me when uh, we first scheduled you to be on the show with us that you were the, actually the person that my friend Elena was talking about. She was so worried about you when you were recovering from that car accident. And uh, when That's I was right. reading, <laughs> when I was reading uh, your bio, I go, "Oh wow, she's the same person Elena was telling me about." So I was really happy to have you with us because. Um, can you describe what happened in your near-death experience? Sure. So um, what I'm about to tell you is uh, what I could remember because from what I could piece together, I was still unconscious in the intensive care unit of the hospital. I didn't know I was in a car accident, didn't know that I almost died. So all of a sudden, my what I realized was that I think my eyes was closed, were closed, but I felt that I saw a very, very bright light, so bright that it actually came through my eyelids. And at the very same time, I felt like I was in a very warm and loving cocoon that from head to toe, every single inch of my body was covered and cradled in this love that was, you know, it's not human. It, it, it was not anything that I experienced in my human life or ever since that experience. And as I was feeling loved, I realized that, oh, I almost died. It was just knowing there was no fear associated with it. And it was also knowing that everything was just as it should be. It was it was the right order, just like, you know, um, it, it's, it's a divine arrangement. And at the very same time, I also felt a very strong conviction that the reason why I didn't die 
is because exactly like I was just saying that there was more for me to do in this life and I needed to do it. Especially this book. So um, you talk about um, helping as many as possible with a message of reach is why I'm I'm still alive and breathing. Tell us more about the, the reach process in your book. Sure, I can uh, give you the overview, and if you would like me to go into each of the steps more uh, in detail, I'll be happy to do that. So REACH is basically an acronym for a five-step self-empowered system that uses conscious living principles. So R is for release, as in releasing limiting beliefs we have that block our dreams and the life that we want. E is for envision, as in envisioning living in your dreams as if it's already come true and having true clarity about what you want. The third letter, A, is for act, as in acting with inspiration and purpose towards fulfilling your dreams, not busy actions, but inspired actions. C is for celebrate, as in celebrate the good that each of us already has in our lives and to welcome more reasons to celebrate, to be magnetic to more reasons to celebrate. And then last but not least, H is for honor, uh, as in honor who you are and where you are in life by reframing any harsh judgments you may have made of yourself about your decisions or actions, or inactions for that matter. It's really about reframing and honoring who you are. So that's really the overview of, of REACH. Okay, what came first, the acronym or uh, the different steps? And and he realized, oh, wow, that's an acronym for REACH. Which came first? It was the acronym. Um, since you brought your friend, Elena, if I can tell you a personal story a little bit here, um, this really came to me when I was uh, with Elena in Sedona in March 2008. At that time, I was feeling a lot of pain in my life because I felt like, I'm just marking time. I didn't know why I was in my human body suit. What am I here to do in this life? And when we're in Sedona, it dawned on me that the reason why I experienced more than a decade and then some of struggle of finding in my life purpose, it really was about um, me having experiences of the people I wanted to serve. And then I thought, at the same time, there, there were, I was learning a lot of, you know, spiritual tools and self-help tools, and I was getting completely overwhelmed. So I thought, okay, it makes total sense to me now that I'm experiencing overwhelm and experiencing pain because I'm I'm meant to help people. What if I'm someone who's supposed to develop something to help someone I can relate to? And so as soon as I had that thought, then, you know, this reach idea came to me. It it came to me. I didn't didn't come up with it myself. So do you... Oh, and, and when you were writing this book, do you feel as though it was coming in from some other source and you were the uh, instrument that this information was coming through? Absolutely. So um, it, it took me a while to get my my human brain wrapped around the fact that I need to do this. But when I finally did, um, the process was exquisite, Paula. I've never had such a beautiful experience of co-creating with the divine. Literally what I would do is every morning or every time before I would sit down to write, I would meditate and set my intention, and then I would just say, let whatever I need to say come through me. And there was one particular weekend when I was writing the Celebrate chapter, uh, as a matter of fact, the 
energy within me got so big because so much creativity, so much love was coming through. The energy was getting too much for me to contain, and I started getting a headache. I actually had to take a break, but it was such a beautiful experience, Paula. I could not even describe in words. It was it was totally the quintessential experience of co-creating with the divine. And that's giving me the chills, Alice. That's really giving me the chills. And it's really, um, I think it's incredible that it came in through that way, especially in the celebrate portion of it. It's like, celebrate what you're doing. That is wonderful. Yeah. If I could do that, you know, 24 by 7, 365 days uh, a year, I will be, you know, undeniably the happiest woman in the whole wide world. Well, maybe that's coming to all of us soon. Let's hope so. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the release limiting beliefs that blocks our dreams. And I have a question before that. Some people don't even know what their dream is. They know there's something out there, but they don't know right. what. So that would actually... that... Go ahead. Go ahead, Paula. I, I didn't mean to... I was going to say, is that... <laughs> Is that something that we should do as a first step before we start looking at the box? Or which way would you work with this? Well, it depends on the individual. I think when someone is so um, tortured that they don't know what they want, sometimes it's best not to start there because they are the energy and their attention is so focused on the problem itself, they may not be able to take themselves out. But certainly, um, in the envision part of the process that I just mentioned, uh, in that particular chapter in the book, I actually have some tools to help people start where they are. Because really, when we, when we know what we hate, it's a very good place to start to figure out what we, what we love. The problem is that uh, when when we are so mired in what what we can't do and the pain that we're currently in, uh, by immediately going to to decipher what I want, they have so many things limiting them that they say, oh, you know, I can't do that. I'll give you an example. So a lot of people um, that I've personally uh, come across would uh, say that I really hate my job. You know, in this area, Paul, I'm sure you you, you know some people who are in that category too. Yeah. And um, they would say, I'm overworked, I'm underpaid, I'm underappreciated. So very quickly I would say, great, you already know what you don't want, let's pivot to the opposite of that. So I want to be paid well, I want to have good work-life balance, and I work, want to work with colleagues and bosses who appreciate me. Sound pretty good, right? So, right. But then the problem is immediately they would say, oh, but I can't, the economy is bad and there are no jobs. So so it, it, their current consciousness is keeping them from recognizing the pivoted conditions are possible for them. So in that case, I would suggest either going to examine some limiting beliefs, which are saying to them that, no, I can't do that, or if someone has been so harsh with judgments with themselves as that, you know, I've been a, a, a you know, spineless doormat staying at this job for too long. I don't even know how to get myself out there. Then I'll point them to start with honoring themselves. Really look at how you reframe the decisions you have made and how that actually have got you, you know, to a point in your life where you can actually move forward. Because everything, absolutely everything we have done would have some value to get us to where we want to go. That's so um, important to hold on to. Because 
sometimes we look at where we're at and we blame ourselves. Oh, I'm here because I haven't done more. But the, exactly. the way that you, the way you just now approached it is so much better, and um, and I think allows us to be able to look at ourselves in a, in a different light. So that's wonderful. Yeah, and if I may, I will give um, not to not to put anybody else on the spot, but myself. I can give you you know example of how I w- was telling you earlier that I felt really tortured in my life for a long time. Um, so if someone looks at my resume and say, "Hey, you were a Cornell professor, and you were a successful business consultant living in a very expensive part of the country," what is there to you know complain about? But the the truth was that for many years, especially when I was a consultant, I hated myself for selling out because I had a, an idea of why I'm here, that I'm supposed to help, but I just didn't know how. And so I judged myself so harshly for all those years I spent consulting. But in reality, when I st- took a step back and realized, you know what, had I not spent all those years consulting with clients, I would not be able to relate to that pain because all the people we're talking about who hate a job are the people that you know I, I want to help, right? And then the other part is as a child, I was so extremely shy and introverted that if someone so much as looked at me and, and uh, you know a few seconds long too long, I would start crying. So how do I manage to to be a speaker, to be able to speak with passion for the things I believe in, and to carry out my life mission? Had I not had almost 20 years of experience speaking in front of groups as a professor, as a consultant, as a as a presenter, I would not have gotten so much practice. In, in the technical skills I would need in order to carry out my life mission right now. But I needed to take a step back and honor my own decision. It's like we we collect tools along the way. <laughs> exactly. So if you, you know, with with your experience as a consultant and, and, and professor, I mean, this is really, I can see how it is really weaved into this book. Because of your past experiences, you're able to, that's probably why you've been chosen. Spirit's chosen you because you you have these tools. I, I I agree, Paula. I really felt very privileged and and honored to be chosen as the conduit for this divine download. Essentially, as I was uh, saying earlier, it came to me. Well, then, um, back to the dreams. We have to. You're saying envision living in your dreams with clarity of what you want. So going back a step, um, how do people get clarity in what they want? Okay. Um, So I was just trying to describe that. A a very simple process that we could use is to start with all the things, exhaustive list of all the things that we don't want. And everybody knows what they don't want. It's really easy for them to do. And then once we have that list, we pivot to the opposite condition, just like I was describing earlier. And and I would encourage people to be as exhausted as they can. And then once they get that list and the pivoted conditions, you know, from, from you know, underpaid, uh, overworked, and appreciated, whatever else, to the opposite of that, if they have a big, long list, then I would then ask them to go to the next step, which is to identify three to five of those pivoted conditions that are really important to them. Like if they could see themselves in those conditions, you know, they're, they're, they're extremely happy, they're relaxed, and they can actually fall in love with life. And and from there, I would say, hold that in your consciousness. Use visualization techniques to get you there. 
So, you know, if your, your listeners probably have heard of, like, vision boards and things like that. Those are really good. So I would say that that's one half of the process is to get clarity from pivoted conditions of what you don't want and hold that in your consciousness. The other part that people don't generally do, and I really highly encourage people to do, is actually allow your inner dreamer, your inner wisdom to tell you what the best life for you would be. And that's not visualization. Visualization is is actually working with what you already know you want. Vision is letting the divine and and higher self, you know, depending on your, your spiritual orientation, if you don't believe in the divine, let your higher self come through and tell you what it is. And there are a couple of processes in my book, in the Envision chapter, that I walk people through uh, how to do that. And I myself practice those uh, processes all the time myself. And so that's how you combine allowing your inner creativity to come out plus, you know, your active reaction and reframing of your life to get to what you want. And that's how you get clarity. Is part of the dreamer, does that part of that come through um in meditation? Yes. Yes. Um, so so um, it, it, the reach is a, a left brain, right brain, yin and yang kind of process, as you, as you said in your introduction. So when we, when we get into meditative state or even just contemplation, because sometimes I think your audience is, is, is um, definitely in, comfortable with, with terminology like meditation and practices of meditation, but even if, if they aren't, they can still uh, just take a step back and and allow whatever comes to them to come out, like through hot penning. Um, just start writing whatever uh, insights come to you, not judging it and just write it down and let it come out. I I know some people um, journal, and a lot of a lot of things come out of journaling. Do you agree? Yes, I do. There are a couple of places uh, in the release. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Somebody else wants to say something. Um, I, I, do, I do very much encourage journaling. I call it hot penning in a couple of places in the reach process, both in release and envision, where you basically set a timer for five, ten minutes, Ideally, first thing in the morning before you actually get caught up in the busyness of your day, to just 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 start writing whatever comes to mind. Don't stop writing. If you want to, you know, scribble gibberish, even that that's good. Just really getting into the habit of allowing your inner voice to come out. Well, that's such good advice because we don't do that. We're so busy doing everyday tasks that we don't listen to that inner voice. Yeah, and a lot of us are very head-based, and we have, you know, monkey brain going on all the time, myself included. And so getting into the habit of either meditation and or journaling is actively um, getting out of our heads and let our heart and our spirit speak. That's such good advice to our listeners. So um, you say act with the... R-E-A in our, our reach. The A is act with inspiration and purpose towards fulfilling your dreams. So after, I would think this might be the next step after you know what your dreams are, what your um, vision is. So what is the next step? Yes, you're exactly right, Paula. Um, So we have, if you follow the process of release, our limiting beliefs, and um, we have uh, let our inner voice come out and talk about what it is that's 
great for us. And so we can take those insights now and turn them into action. Um, because I think one of the, the uh, misses, if you will, in some of the advice that I hear going on around is that there's so much advice on visualizing what you want and just thinking positive thoughts and, and make yourself a magnet to the experiences that you want. Those are all great and they are important. But a lot of people miss the fact that if you get guidance to do something, you need to do it. It's not going to come knock on your door. And so um, this step of reach is all about, okay, now that I know um, I'm being guided to learn something new or I, I'm being guided I need to go somewhere and we need to do it. The other part is um, one of the, the, the hallmarks of reach is I really want to provide a system for everyone to be able to start doing something. Uh, to feel like they have the power to change their lives, to switch from being a victim to a conscious creator. So for a lot of people, the idea of going after a dream is really intimidating. It's really scary. So I want to give them something that they can start doing a little bit every day. So instead of thinking about, let's say, you know, I hate my job, I really want this dream career, but the economy is bad, blah, blah, blah. Um, instead of thinking that, just start planning what can I do tomorrow, what can I do next week, what can I do next month, and just focus on that based on the insights that came to them in their visioning process uh, and start doing a little something every day. And they don't need to be scared up by the entire big dream. Just focus on these little steps, and then they can eventually get to where they want to be. So it's really about reducing something that's intimidating and scary to bite-sized chunks. That's uh, that's really good advice because I know procrastination a lot of times is from fear. So if you break it down into little steps, it's not so, you know, scary. Yeah, and um, Paul, in the book I offer a, a system that's called SMART for people to take action, and it's actually an acronym for specific. You set very, set very specific goals, uh, measurable that you know you can check off when you when it's done actionable, something you can actually do instead of saying, I want a better life. Well, what does that look like? So making it actionable, something you can do a little something with. Um, relevant, something that will, realistic, I should say, ours are realistic, something that it's not going to scare you off like you were just saying, Paula, that, you know, it's so big that I end up procrastinating on it because it scares me off, right? And then time trackable, the element that I was just speaking to, and that is what can I do in one day, what can I do in one week, that kind of thing. And so it's all about uh, helping people break it down to a realistic way and bite-sized way of, of approaching something that otherwise would be scary. And then in that plan, uh, since you brought up, you know, people who could procrastinate and what have you, you know, we are all different. And some of us um, would need somebody to hold them accountable. And so I actually use the celebrate stuff that we will talk, talk about in a moment to have people schedule a celebration with a loved one for accomplishing a SMART goal. And so that way they they have some encouragement to achieve that, that goal that they set for themselves and also to get motivated because if someone else is going to celebrate with them and also you don't want to let the person down or canceling the celebration. And some of the steps may not be um, seen immediately as a step forward. I would think, like, 
I'm just thinking about something I might put down on mine. Just meet somebody that I have not met before that's in this particular line of business that I want to get into. Maybe it's just a conversation with them, and I won't see any results, but it's opening exactly. another door. Yeah. Exactly. So, that, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you raised that because you're, that's a perfect example. You're not setting your goal to be having some outcome from that conversation, but it's, it's a smart goal for you to just even be reaching out to someone and having that conversation and be able to check that off and say, I did that, that's great, and I can celebrate that. That's, I mean, that's great. I mean, and it's not so, again, I'm going back to being scary. And it's just, I think it's like a confirmation that um, you're going into the right direction. Exactly. So uh, I know you said to to celebrate your little steps. So um, can you give some examples of celebration? Sure. Um, There are actually two key elements to the celebrate component of REACH. One is what we are have you know basically gotten into talking about, which is to celebrate the progress that we're making in what we do towards reaching our dreams. And and a lot of us tend to take things for granted, and that doesn't do us any good because um, our subconscious mind is filled with programming about what we can, cannot do, what what's good for us, what's bad for us, and what have you. And what we do not stop and acknowledge and and, and congratulate ourselves and celebrate the progress we're making towards our dreams, our subconscious mind continues to register the beliefs and the signals we get about what we don't have. And so we actively want to use celebrate to retrain our subconscious programming, uh, or to, to add new programming, replace some of the negative programming about the fact that our lives are going pretty well, Okay. And then the other element of celebrate is it's really simple, uh, but we need to get in the habit of doing, and that is basically celebrating the grace in our lives. And what I mean by grace is essentially everything that's good that may not have anything to do with our actions or decisions, and yet we take them for granted. So, for instance, you know, the weather's great and it's a beautiful day. How many of us stop and, and appreciate that? Um, we, we could see, you know, come across a, a child who smiled brilliantly at us, and we, we we didn't do anything to earn that smile. And so it may sound crazy that I'm asking people to notice these things, but again, it's really to help us to spend energy and attention noticing what's good in our lives, appreciating them, being grateful for them, instead of spending so much energy admiring in what's not going well in our lives. And so this is really a practice of simple but has to be in the habit because as we do that, as we you know, write gratitude journals and, and take time to appreciate what's good in our lives, it shifts our consciousness that we're more able to notice good things. Again, whether or not it has anything to do with us and become in the process, become more magnetic to these good feelings and these good conditions. And in time, they build and build and build. And that's another reason why we want to celebrate so that we have more reasons to celebrate in time. Well, it's like uh, our life goes towards what we concentrate on. So if we're concentrating on good good things, we're going to get them. So really, that's a, a step that so many of us forget. 
Yeah, I mean, for for folks who are you know uh, believe in psychology, it's a very that's that, that a very simple concept of self fulfilling prophecies. When you expect good to come, the results are going to be good. If you expect bad bad things to come, that's what you get also. So you know, you get to choose you know, which which prophecy do you want to fulfill. Well, I think that is more important now than ever because we are you know bombarded with news, and the news is telling us the bad things that could be coming. So we start to concentrate on that. And as a whole group of people, I mean a whole um, social group, we create fear and go towards the wrong things. So this, what you're suggesting is so important to us right now because we need to be looking at the good things. Yeah, you know, we know that, you know, with media, good news, you know, don't necessarily sell, uh, and bad news are more memorable, and that's because it's actually a physiological reason for that. The way our brains are wired from an evolutionary standpoint, uh, we, our brains are wired to notice and, and, and pay attention to things that are potentially threatening to us. And so, therefore, um, a negative experience we have five times more likelihood to stay with us than a positive one. So, you know, it takes a whopping big deal, uh, a very positive thing for it to be as memorable to us as a little negative thing. And that's why we, you know, need to be very conscious about noticing every single little positive thing that's going on in our lives because that's going to counter our, our physical wiring to only focus on what's not going well. So thank you for sharing that. It's really important. Now, the H is for honor. Yes. Do you want to go into that? Absolutely. You I think in your life? I, I, I think honor is, is probably my favorite uh, step in this reach process because it, it, it really starts, there's, there's different you know, components to that, but it's really about accepting and loving ourselves instead of judging ourselves for what we have done, what we haven't done, and in what ways we need to better ourselves. And a lot of us are completely unconscious to how much we do not love ourselves. And so I'll give you an example. Uh, at a workshop that I ran, this, this beautiful lady, she's, she's an amazing artist. The first thing out of her mouth, mouth was, I'm not an artist. And I, I want to, to say, why would you say that, Anne? Because you have, your, your artwork is so beautiful. But she got it in her head that unless she's making a living selling her art, then she's not an artist. And so she was completely unaware of the fact that she had made this judgment about herself that she was not what she wanted to be. And so Anna is very much about, okay, let's take a step back and look at why did you make that judgment of yourself? And why would you say that? And so, you know, uh, and then I gave you, go ahead. Would that judgment stand in the way of her actually selling her pieces because she's already made a judgment? Yeah, and and also the reason why she was in my workshop was because she wasn't living the life that she wanted. And she really loved art and she was producing great art, but she was she was judging herself and as she said, therefore she's not it, it's it's sort of a vicious circle because she didn't believe she was an artist, therefore she could not sell her art, and therefore she's not making a living, and that's fulfilling her her, her, her judgment herself that she's not an artist. So you see the, the, the loop? But so I was able to get her to to take a step back and 
examine why did she make that judgment of herself that she wasn't an artist. So have you gotten any feedback since the workshop? If maybe her or some other person that was in your workshop, they actually stepped back and started honoring themselves and their life started changing? She was, um, at the time of the workshop, she was a big aha for her. That you know, um, she's actually. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how much I can share. Let me just say that she's not a young person, and so this belief had been with her for um, a good part of her life. And when she left the workshop, she wanted to uh, think for herself as to where she wanted to take that. You know, she wanted to take that uh, judgment off of herself and start selling her art or if she wanted to re-examine other, um, other beliefs she had about her life and where she wanted to go with that. Yeah, well, yeah because my way of thinking, that can touch every part of your life. Exactly. Um, you I have can a share be- another uh, example of um, someone I have worked with and um, this is probably a very typical story of most of the, the folks who are listening. Again, you know, we, we live in the economy that we're in. Um, so there's a, a, a young man I was coaching, and he's a foreign national. And so he uh, was at risk of losing his job. If he didn't, you know, get another job soon, you know, he would lose his sponsorship for a visa status, and she was, she was, he would have been deported. And so he was really um, afraid because of the economy and because of all the things he was hearing about, you know, uh, limiting circumstances and what have you. And so he could very easily have stuck, been stuck in those judgments that, you know, I'm a foreign national. There's so many people in this country who could not find work. Who am I to get another job, you know, at these dire times? And I'll, I'll, I'll get right to the, to the point. Uh, we worked through some of the the tools in in reach, and he did a really good job in envisioning himself in the conditions of the job that he wanted, and he actually found himself a job that he wanted exactly with the conditions that he wanted. But one of the steps that he needed to do was to release the judgments that he had made of his ability to get a job under objectively really poor and unfavorable conditions. Now that could be ingrained um, with us from childhood, um, just by something our parents said to us or a teacher said to us, and then we carry that belief from the time we were a child. Absolutely. I mean, um, the, our subconscious mind, every one of us, uh, is filled with messages that we got since we were kids. And the ones that we got when we're kids were especially the ones that we need to uncover and and change because we typically have forgotten about them. And the reason why they're also particularly memorable is because for for us when we're kids, our our, uh, mental and psychological capacities were still developing. We didn't know how to make sense of the experiences we were having. And so we just made, we did the best that we could to survive whatever conditions there were and so they kind of stayed with us. I mean, how many times have we heard, you know, when um, when families fall apart and then the kids kind of felt that they were unworthy when their parents split up? I mean, that's totally 
not, it doesn't make any sense to, to adults. But for kids, they would remember certain incidents going on at home that they were bad, and then so they, they put two and two together and realized they thought that, you know, the reason why their parents split up was because they were bad. And so there are things like that that are stuck in our, in our subconscious that continue to tell us why we can't do something or we continue to unconsciously make sense of our current reality when that's not true anymore. And actually this has less to do with honor but back to the release part where there are tools in the release chapter that I help people uncover these forgotten childhood memories that are still unconsciously uh, shaping how we make decisions and what we believe our reality is. That kind of brings me to the next step because um, you refer to life like it's a labyrinth. And, uh, and the way we are talking right now, I can see the labyrinth. I mean, we go through the path and we're intimidated and it's complex and and it's so much what you said. Life is like a labyrinth. Do you want to uh, say more about that? Yes, that is by far my favorite part of um, the whole book is is the big aha when, when I got it, that if we look at life as a labyrinth, which is essentially a, a mysterious, meandering path um, that could be very scary when we're somewhere in it and can't see where we are and we'll feel lost or we're off our path, that sometimes the path will even take us backwards if we just focus on where we're in the labyrinth. But yet if we take an aerial view, go up to the sky and look back down and look at your entire life as this labyrinth as a whole, rather than just a specific piece of it, then you realize two things. Number one, that, yeah, the path itself looks weird, but it all fits into this this neat pattern with a starting point and an angle and everything in between, no matter how weird it gets, it's guaranteed to take you to where you need to go. So for us, we're in this life, no matter what, what steps we take, what choices we make that we judge to be bad, eventually we'll get to where we need to go in this life. That's what we're here to do. The second thing that we can realize when we look at our entire life as the labyrinth as a whole, right, as one specific piece in it, is that everyone has a distinctive labyrinth that's unique to them. I have one, you have one, Bahala, and, and everybody listening has their own labyrinth. And when we honor that the pattern that each of our labyrinths has, that it doesn't look at anybody else's, we can then realize let's not let someone else's labyrinth set expectations for ourselves, that we need to be at a specific point in our lives having these specific things, having done these specific things, and that's where those judgments come into play as well. So when we can see life as a labyrinth, we can honor where we are, and we can honor the fact that our life is unique to us. Yes, we're all special. I mean, we're we're unique and different from everyone else. That makes us special. Yes. I mean, the beauty, I, I'm just loving every day that, you know, we are all connected to the same source. We all come from the same place, and we all come from pure, pure love, and yet each of us comes in a very specific, unique package that's us. And we get to play with the tools that we're given to make something of this. I mean, it's just beautiful. Sorry, I mean, I, I can get carried away when I start thinking about it. So. <laughs> well, you know, I've I've heard near-death experiences or what happens when you go on the other side. 
and some people have had this experience, and um, it's that you look at your life like it was a puzzle, you know, when you're on the other side, and you, you see like you're ex- explaining a labyrinth, and you see how how special your life was. It all comes into pieces, and, and not everybody has that experience, the near-death experience, but I've heard that, that your life is in front of you, and you see it as a beautiful puzzle or a labyrinth, and I think that if you ever had that experience, it would really bring home how important your life is and how unique it is and and how, you know, love comes to you through spirit. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, I, I sometimes like to use pop culture as a way to illustrate um, concepts that, you know, people can relate to. You know, what you just said about... Um, you know, we all um, serve a purpose and we all are here and, and are valuable. It, I, I love It's a Wonderful Life. You know, everybody can relate to that movie um, with mm-hmm. George's character. You know, he was down and lucky in every way possible and was contemplating suicide until, you know, his guardian angel basically walked him through what life would be like for everybody who loved him had he not be around. I love that story because... We can so easily get lost in in the things that we we felt like we have failed to do, or in in things that in, in in not realizing the value of our lives. When we take a step back and realize the interconnectedness that we have with everybody else, and how we are a very key piece of this puzzle, as you said, and without us, you know, certain things would just completely fall apart. And this is not feeding our ego. It's really the way. The mystery of the universe is, you know, we are all here connected to others for a purpose, and we need to recognize and honor that. I know. It was uh, just yesterday. I wanted to let this lady know. I think we got static. This lady know. We were sitting in a room, and I looked over at her, and I was in a room of wonderful women, uh, and felt honored to meet every one of them. And I looked at the lady that I met them through. I said, you know, if it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't know anybody in this room, and I want to thank you. Right. So, so that to me, it just brought home how one person can be so important. Absolutely. So uh, we have like 15 minutes. Do you want to hit on a little bit of your uh, what you talked about before, SMART? and the action part of it? Okay, I'll be happy to. So um, with the SMART plan, again, SMART is an acronym for Specific, Measurable, Actionable, Realistic, and Time Trackable. So again, this whole concept, um, actually this is this is exercising the, our left brain and our yen side um, that's really good for um, taking action, planning, and executing. So actually, let me let me um, digress just for a moment to talk about why that's important. I think that a lot of uh, spiritual teachings, a lot of which I love myself, um, would do a really good job of, of of helping us recognize the importance of getting quiet and being in a receptive mode for creative ideas and insights to come to come through. And that is critical. You know, I you know we can't do without that. But I also want to emphasize that. It's no accident that each and every one of us took on a human body with with uh, really good brain power and abilities to execute and do things 
that's not an accident. We we took on this body, have these abilities because we're here to manifest in a very specific way. And so therefore, I wanted to introduce an action planning tool like SMART in the action chapter that will help us um, take the the inner wisdom and the guidance from the universe uh, for what we need to do. And so then uh, when we take these insights and make them specific, and that is break it down to something very bite-sized, um, to, again, to use an example that everybody can relate to, to get towards your, your dream career, um, instead of thinking about a dream career in its whole, is what is the next thing I can do tomorrow? It may perhaps is picking up the phone to call someone for an information interview. As you were saying, Paula, earlier, it, it's not about you reaching out to someone, you know, doing this, do, being the same line of business as you are. It's just making that call and just leave it at that, and, and you can be specific with that. And then measurable, the second letter M, measurable, is, again, a checkpoint for you to make sure that you're reducing something potentially big to something manageable. So if I say that, oh, I'm going to meditate more, what does that mean? I'm going to start meditating at least five minutes every morning starting tomorrow. That's very measurable. You can check that off when you've done it. And then there's um, uh, A for actionable. Um, so, again, to use my example just now, I'm going to meditate more. So what does that look like? You know, if, I, if I'm going to get up tomorrow five minutes early to do my meditation, five minutes, then that's actionable instead of just saying something that, 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 that is an idea instead of an action point. And then R for realistic, um, this is to address what you were saying earlier, Paula, about, you know, getting into the procrastination mode. Um, a lot of times we procrastinate because something we want is so big that it scares us off. And so making something realistic, such as making a call, it's just saying, I am going to get another job. A very different energy when you start thinking about it, right? And so right. Uh, making it realistic is good. And then last but not least, make it time trackable, that you're going to say, I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to do this by the end of the week. I'm going to do this within the next two weeks. You know, hold yourself accountable for that because as you take these little steps, eventually you will get to the vision that has been revealed to you when you do your envisioning. And this is how you use the body and the abilities that you've been given in this human form to get you where you where you need to go in this life when you're manifesting. So do you think it's important also to track what you've done? I mean, I think it's probably part of honoring yourself because we lose track of what we've actually done. I mean, because we took little little steps. We don't um, imagine how all those little steps together really accomplished a, a large step. So we need to step back and look what we've done. Absolutely, and that's an integral part of the celebrate step, too, because if you don't recognize what you have done, you have nothing to celebrate, right? So that's why in the SMART uh, plan, I actually have it in the book. And also, I should mention that um, all of the tools that I have in my book is available in a workbook that um, all your listeners can download for free from my website. And so within that, one of the tools is this SMART plan template where um, there are columns uh, for uh, recording the the SMART steps that you have taken, and one of the columns is celebrate. So I want everybody, when they're doing their SMART planning, to think about how they're going to celebrate each of these SMART goals being accomplished. So if you have made that phone call that scared you and you actually did it, 
hey, you know, do something for yourself. You know, um, maybe, you know, you uh, it, it could be as simple as, you know, going out for a smoothie that you think that is too fattening for you normally or, you know, giving yourself some extra time in the driving range. Whatever, you know, makes sense to you that it activates within you this this feeling of celebrating something good. It's it's it's, it's it's wonderful. We need to do that again. It's to retrain our subconscious mind to recognize progress and to recognize good. So yeah, it's all by all means. We do need to track our our steps. And also, especially for for folks who are visual learners, because there are different kinds of learners. People, some people learn by listening. Some people learn by watching. Having the visual of having a list to cross an item off to check something off, it actually registers for the subconscious mind again, that you are making progress. Life is moving in a direction that you want, one little step at a time. It's wonderful. Now, let's give out your website because you said you have so many tools on your website that people can use for free, actually. You want to give that out? Sure. So everybody can go to my website, which is uh, really easy. My name is com, which is D-R-A-L-I-C-E, chan.com. So it's not E, it's C-H-A-N. And uh, there you can download uh, a workbook that's um, not to scare anybody off. Uh, it contains 27 pages of tools that cover everything from R-E-A-C to H, uh, all the different tools that that you can use. And and your book actually goes into it with more depth, right? Sure. You know, in the book that I set it up, you know, I let people know why a specific tool is useful and uh, what it actually does. But if someone just wants to get a sense of what the tools are, they can get get the workbook and 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 see what they will get. And you know, some of them you can actually do without without background on why you what value you get from from the specific tool. So Alice's book is Reach Your Dreams, Five Steps to Be a Conscious Creator in Your Life. Do you, are you actually, uh, are you doing workshops now? or What are you actually doing now after your book has been published? Yeah, so um, I am going to uh, mostly private speaking engagements, although I am uh, going to be talking um, at some uh, New Thought churches in the area. So I, I'm based in the peninsula in um, Northern California. So basically all the uh, New Thought churches that are around the San Francisco Bay Area, I'll be speaking there. And there are a couple of other uh, private arrangements. Um, what I would like to mention to your listeners, too, if they're interested, is that starting in November, I will have a six-week teleseminar uh, where anybody can dial in from anywhere, and I will actually go through the program with everybody. There will be a specific time of the day that the call will be um, happening, but every call will be recorded and available to uh, each participant to go through uh, on their own if they can't make the time. And also I'll be sending out uh, just really brief um, inspirational notes in between calls each once a week to keep people motivated and to give them a chance to ask me questions. So that's an opportunity that's coming up. And my purpose for doing that is um, many people tend to wait till it's New Year to think about, oh, you know, what do I want to want to do for myself? And so that's that's where New Year's resolutions come along. Except, A, you know, they usually stretch goals and people give up on them before, you know, March even comes along. 
And um, what I'm offering is something different. It's not about stretching yourself. It's about honoring yourself, releasing what's keeping you from what you want, and going towards what you want. And I'm doing that purposely at the end of the year because there's a lot of releasing work that we want to do to create space for what we want. So I actually want someone to come into the new year ready to rock that life. So you have a newsletter, sounds like. I don't currently have one yet, uh, but I will be looking to create an update, uh, a newsletter for a regular update since I have more speaking and uh, uh, program um, opportunities. So if someone's interested in staying in touch, they can join my email list, and certainly when I have those updates, I will be sharing sharing them with uh, my email list. So that's uh, your website, Dr. Dr. for Dr. Alice. Chan, C-H-A-N dot com. So you probably have an e- event. People can look at your events. And you'll you'll be talking about your webinar. And can people order your book from your website? They certainly can. There is a page where it will take them directly to Beboa Press, which is my publisher, uh, where they can order my book. And if they don't want to do that, they can also basically order my book anywhere that they normally buy their books. So has there been any changes in your life since this book has been written? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, it has been. Um, I'm certainly doing a lot more radio shows. (laughs) Uh, I I know that that's not what you're asking me for. Uh, I have to tell you, um, I'm a living proof of, you know, when you get into the space of loving what you do, uh, more good things happen. And I just... I'm so excited every day to get up because um, not necessarily always about what I plan to do myself is one of the things I do when I get up in the morning uh, is I meditate and then I ask, ask, you know, the device, what do we get to co-create today? And so um, there there are so many little daily miracles that I get to experience that I literally feel like, you know, this is not happening because, you know, <laughs> life the way I was brought up as a kid is not supposed to be this blissful and I am I'm just really happy. So that's really a big surprise for you that it can work that way. You're a living yeah. example. <laughs> because that, yeah, I mean, um, people, yeah. Yeah, as a kid live life, life. life was a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And it was supposed to be pre planned and you were supposed to have all these things set, not to ask daily, well, what's happening today? I mean, that's really living in the now. Right. But I'm more and more conscious about going one step further, and that is, I want to, as I was saying to you earlier in in this interview, that I love the process of writing the book so much that if I could do it every minute of every day, I would be the most, the happiest woman alive. Um, I really wanted to capture that energy of really feeling that I'm not just making this happen myself. Uh, It's truly the practice of, you know, marrying up my my left brain and right brain, my yin and yang side, to co-create with with my beloved, you know, the universe, the God of my understanding. And that's what Uh, I look forward to doing every day. uh, Is there another book coming then? It sounds like there might be another book. Uh, yeah, there, there, there is another book that's waiting for the space to come out, um, and and I don't know yet at this point when that's going to happen because I'm still very much um, in the you know space of promoting reach, 
but hopefully, you know, before too long, the other book can come out. Well, you're living proof that life can be beautiful and wonderful, and and each day you wake up, you say, thank you, what do you have for me now? So what a great example you are, and thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, it's been such an honor and pleasure, Paula. I, I love being with you, and uh, thank you for this opportunity. Well, thank you for what you're doing, because what you're doing is actually helping folks step into the beautiful side of life. And we hope to have you back again. Thank you. I would love to. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.